Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show Hey, Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This one is special. This one is one that I've wanted to do for a while. And just serendipitously, I was on Twitter uh, because Twitter actually consumes way too much of my time. Uh, As a creator, I'm supposed to just get in and get out. But Twitter always sucks me in with different threads. And our guest today is from one of these threads, Paul Agapal. So Paul is a biomedical and epi-informatic. He's a data science leader uh, solving complex cross-disciplinary problems. Uh, Joining us from Camden Town, England, United (laughs) Kingdom. Good evening over there, uh, Uh, Paul. Good evening, Dan. And and, uh, well done on pronouncing my last name correctly, though I'm sure you have more or less the same issues, right? <laughs> I definitely do. I mean, one of my strengths is actually pronouncing people's right, uh, last names generally uh, correctly, like compared to the average person. That's This one is something I'm proud of. So yours, was, <laughs> yours is easy, Paul. <laughs> it is. I, I always tell people this, you know, it, it's pronounced exactly the way it's written. And they always make it more complicated than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. So Paul's LinkedIn profile is underneath the video. And if you're listening on the podcast, first of all, thank you. Second of all, go connect with Paul right now. His LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. So Paul's got an interesting background because as you've as you've clicked on the title, this is going to be about maybe pros and cons of academia versus private industry, going in depth with someone who's done both. Okay, Paul mm-hmm. made a thread on Twitter, like I said, about moving from academia to industry, the good, the bad, not intended to be an argument. Um, but if you're wondering about the jump, which I 
Paul. I know a lot of people are. And by the way, that thread must have gone viral, right? That uh, like you've probably got a bunch of people reaching out to you. <laughs> I have, I have. I'm experiencing what it's like to be internet famous, uh, you know, and trying to avoid, you know, I don't want to become a scientific influencer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, is but, I think that you know we are in an era where that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> That's right. Me and the Cardassians. Absolutely. Clinical <laughs> <laughs> trials. Yeah, Will Smith, it, it was Will Smith taking up. away a little bit of your of your shine oh, yeah. last night. You know, he's hogging a little bit of the news this morning. <laughs> Damn him. Damn him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, you went from academia to GSK, right? GlaxoSmithKline. Is that yeah, well, actually, there's a couple of steps in between. But, you know, uh, the the long story of my life is that it, originally once upon a, time, upon a time I was an immunologist. But, you know, as business changes, of course, and you get more and more into the information and the, the computer sides of things, I got sort of sucked off course there and, uh, you know, ended up going through jobs with this, you know, lots of different job titles and there, bioinformatician computer guy in inverted commas you know um things like that and spent a long time in the university uh various universities you know did some government work as well along the way and worked in some research institutions but um some years ago uh one of the big farmers came along and uh and headhunted me and so i i made the leap because i thought well let's try this out let's see where this is going right and uh, and it's it's been happy days ever since I have to say. So uh, I'm a GlaxoSmithKline currently. I was uh, previously working at AstraZeneca. Although I have to say, because I work for Big Pharma, that nothing I say here represents their opinions or is official company policy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course not. They even they don't know their own opinions on things. So <laughs> how how would you That's know, true. Paul? <laughs> exactly. Um, so what made the headhunter? You know, when you were at academia at a, at the university there, um, the university was the uh, which one was it again? Imperial College. Imperial, Imperial College. College. So what made the headhunter find you and say, "Hey, we want you to join us in you private know? industry." Hmm. You know, I think there was definitely there was something in the something in the air at that time because it started happening all at once, getting calls from all sorts of places, you know, and farmer getting interested. So I think uh, it wasn't me radically becoming a somewhat more interesting person. I think what we're seeing is that you know this this area biotechnology, information technology, you know, the clinical science and research and so forth has just become hotter and hotter as the years have gone by. And, you know, there it has become more of an industry rather than a niche, if you want to. And that was that was that transition that happened, you know, about five years ago or so. And uh, people have also started to they've been more open to moving around as well and you know become more self-determined there's been less of this you know you've moved into a career and you stay there because this is the niche that you know and the the pandemic has only uh, amplified that tendency absolutely so basically your data science 
and your biomedical background, you, you, you were able to transition. Well, you were attractive to private industry sponsors yeah. like AstraZeneca in your ability to design clinical trials, to design the protocols, endpoint analysis, patient selection, mm-hmm. all those kind of things, right? Do you yeah. think you do you think the a- academia helped you hone those skills? Absolutely. Look, you know, I uh, we we had this little talk before the show that you know I'm I'm not entirely down on my a- academic experience, and I don't look upon it as wasted time. You know, there was there were a lot of opportunities there to to pick up the right sort of skills there, things that would be very useful to me for me later on down the road. Or that there was that was not the intention at the time. You know, we were just uh, the shall we say the kind of the fluidity or lack of structure in academia kind of let us go into a lot of things and you know uh, accidentally almost kind of make ourselves valuable valuable assets for big companies wait so you you said the lack of structure in academia because i would have guessed it's the complete opposite well you know i think and this this kind of one of the big sales uh, selling points about academia is that um you know they will always say you can work on whatever you want or you can have academic freedom and so forth. And I think the flip side of that is that, you know, very often in a big company, you'll have people to, uh, you know, people to sort your papers, do your admin, you know, do your HR, things like that. But in the university, you have to do a lot of that work yourself. You know, you have to set up your computers, you have to kind of like do your own analytics, so forth. You know, you become a bit of a jack of all trades, or you can become one. And, uh, that's not an entirely good thing, but it can be used to get yourself useful skills in these circumstances. And that's the way that it worked out for me. So a lot of people watching this show or listening to this podcast, some many have PhDs, but most don't. The majority are bachelors of science, masters of science, clinical research coordinators. They want to be clinical research associates. And I, I get a lot of these questions. Hey, I've been stuck at this academic medical center for the last five years. I feel like I've reached the peak of how far I can advance, mm-hmm. but nobody in private industry wants me. Like I can't even get interviews. So what do I do? And my advice oh. has always been try to get out as quickly as, as you can, but I don't know <laughs> if that's good advice. Well, you know, I think that's actually, that's not bad advice, Dan. I think, uh, you know, it's, Someone said to me, actually, said that it's a lot easier. Companies uh, are a lot more amenable to recruiting people at the beginning of their careers and at the end of their careers. You know, the beginning of their careers, you're kind of you're fresh out. You've got a lot of knowledge there. You know, at the end of your careers, they're recruiting you for your experience, your prestige or so forth. Um, so if you're one of those people in the middle that can get a bit sticky, you know, I, I wouldn't say to give up hope. Uh, but just know that you're going to have to work, you know, work around perhaps people's prejudices. So, yeah, I would I would absolutely, I think if you've been in an academic center and you're not moving ahead, uh, it can be a fatal mistake to think I'll hang in there and eventually they'll recognize that I'm a great person or that, you know, I'm valuable. You know, you can 
you're more likely to be to uh, be seen as valuable by someone outside. I think that is the that is the mindset, right? I think I see that here in the United States. It seems like it's the same thing over there in the UK. It's hey, you yeah. know what? If I just keep at it, eventually someone will recognize me, and maybe yeah. I'll get to be a director. And you're saying mm-hmm. that's not what is the norm. No. Yeah, I not at all. I think look, you will you will move faster by moving around. Uh, even if it's a maybe it's not going to another institution or company, but maybe moving within mm. one company might work for you. You know, someone once said to me that your typical career is not like an an ever ascending line. It's more like a spiral. You know, so if you like your kind of shifting sideways and up and shift sideways and up and shift sideways and up and you'll get a you you'll ascend a lot faster that way i think Mm. whereas if you stay in one place perhaps there's a bit of psychology that people think that you know this is what this person does and they're not confident that you can do anything else exactly that i've had a many but the one that that resonated with me the most. I had about a half an hour conversation with a hiring manager at a big CRO. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say which one, but there's only like five of them. So she, and they're all the same, basically. Yeah. She said, when we look for CRAs to hire, we look at coordinators and we look at CRAs from other companies. However, we, if there is a CRC, a coordinator from an mm-hmm. academic medical center, I run away is what she said. (laughs) And that resonated with me. And I've heard similar things from others that resonated with me. So that turned into my advice for the viewers. And I've been getting a lot of hate from people at AMCs saying, Hey, why, you know, this unfounded hate. And I'm Mm. sure there's some AMCs that are great, but I I'm giving you guys like interpretation of what people have actually told me. So this is why I'm so happy to have you on the show. Yeah. No, look, I, I'm fully on board with you. It's not it's not that you that think that AMCs and everything like that are terrible and the people that work there are, you know, are less skilled or anything. There is just this perception that sometimes in, you know, the academic context, people can be a bit institutionalized. And, you know, fair or unfair, you're going to have to deal with this when you're out on the job market. So you know, people can refer to my my Twitter thread, whatever, for my advice. But I think just, you know, be ready for that, you know, that challenge when you're interviewing. You know, they'll come to you and say, you know, do you think you can really work in industry? And, you know, how do you think it's different? Show that you've thought about that. Um, show that you're an organized person who understands deadlines who understands milestones and pressure and juggling different work streams you know and you'll be able to diffuse that challenge in there but you know it's it's not that it's not that you know amcs and the universities and so forth are substandard there is just this perception by a lot of hirers so fair or not you've got to get around it so what is the perception? Like, what is, if you had to point to, like, let's say three things that the private industry is hesitant about when it comes to a candidate from an AMC? 
All right. Okay. So let's go for that. Um, number one, that they're disorganized. Okay. We know kind of sometimes in, you know, in, and honestly in many hospitals, but let's say AMCs or so forth, that there is this whiff of the university about them and it's all slightly shambolic and running from disaster to disaster. And, you know, they don't want this to be their practice. You know, they want people who are organized and disciplined and so forth. So, you know, the fact that you can have a schedule and execute on, on it would be that first one. Uh, then there would be, I think, perhaps slightly in the university context, there's this sometimes people get hooked into things that are interesting but not necessarily valuable, shall we say? You know, there's, uh, you know, if you're working with clinical scientists and so forth, chasing that kind of interesting tidbit of something that could be going on. But, you know, a, a crow wants to execute a trial, okay? So, you know, if, if you can be clear about what your mission is and executing it on it and not getting distracted, you know, then you'll be gold for them. And you know, would I put a third point in there? I think maybe if you just show an appreciation for, you know, what is the business here? What are we trying to achieve? You know, and being able to work with people in a team to achieve that, because, you know, uh, we, we, have, we have all worked, of course, with difficult people in our lives, and uh, they are everywhere. But, you know, many people within an academic context will you know, perhaps not appreciate that, you know, this is a team sport we're in, right? You know, we work together and uh, we show that we're good colleagues and we work well with others. So those would be my three. Those are actually good three. So <laughs> no, <laughs> number two is basically sticks out to me like, you know, maybe try to be, especially if you higher level like PhD and you're trying to yeah. transition just like you were, Maybe try to be a little less intellectual and a little more pra pragmatic about your activities. I, or yeah, no, I think so. I think we see a lot of let's call them academic CVs, you know, and they're academic as and they're they're formatted and they're pitched in an academic way. You know, look at these papers that are on. Look at these software that I used. You know, look at kind of the traditional markers of what you'd call an academic career. And, you know, you're undercutting yourself there. I think you're much better if you show that, like, here I am, here, uh, here's what I did, here's the problem we had, here's how I solved it, you know, that sort of thing. So why, and you're not speaking for any of the sponsors that you work for or have worked for, but why is it that they're hesitant to hire people from academia but when it comes to needing a site they go to the KOLs key opinion leaders that are at these academic medical centers i mean well they like one I've, part about it but not the rest right <laughs> well i don't know maybe i i'm really not sure maybe it's kind of it's a bit of a you know the different things that sort of uh, an academic medical center could provide for you you know, credibility on one side, you know, you go to uh, Sloan Kettering or whatever in there, 
but you know on the other hand you know when you're looking at um looking at someone's cv and they've come from an academic place you'll sort of say well you know all these scientific papers are fine good for you but actually what we want is you know almost they're more interested in recruiting a type of person rather than a person who has used this software mm. you know and a person who has x publications and so forth i mean i know that i i myself would tend to recruit someone who's more adaptable who's a good colleague who i'd be happy to work with rather than someone who is a bona fide genius right so you on the twitter thread and this is where i mm -hmm. i like to i always recommend hey the smaller the company you can work for the better initially because mm -hmm. you're going to grow the quickest right and that that'll kind of mm -hmm. help your career trajectory a lot i think and then you can go more step ladder with the bigger companies if you want it's not sure. for everybody you said companies especially small ones will have priorities and interests but they are often more flexible than you expect your hurdle is to link the project to the company mission and the bottom line. Uh, and they still might say no. Do you think that somebody from an AMC is better suited to work at a smaller biotech, let's say? Or do you think they're better off at like a Pfizer or a Janssen & Johnson? Mm -hmm. Well, that, that is interesting. I think, I think you absolutely, if you're coming from academia, maybe you go into the right sort of small biotech startup you could find it like transparently the same sort of work in a sense. You know, you've got a problem to solve, you're barreled into it, you know, mm. it's up for you to solve things. You've got a fairly small group of people, so you have to be a bit flexible about stuff. And there is greater ownership of your problem as they were, as yeah. it were in a, a small company. Whereas you know maybe in a maybe in a larger one that would uh that that wouldn't be there but yeah you, it might be an easier step you're quite right going into uh going a smaller one but as as said you know one of the you know one of the great you know promises people say about academia is you know you could work on whatever you wanted to or so forth and you know, people say if you go into industry, if you go into a startup or something like that, you're not going to get that. And, well, actually, I think in many cases, there's be a lot more flexibility than I think you would imagine. You know, mm -hmm. there would be the scope to actually work on a lot of different things in a better resourced way than, uh, than actually would have been possible in the university. But you know, you have to appreciate that you're in a business there. So what's in it for them? Mm -hmm. And the, the the prestige, is there, I mean, I'm trying to rationalize, okay, how would a biotech care about recruiting this person? Let's say you, you worked at a prestigious AMC. Mm -hmm. I think, it's, to me, it's logical. I don't know if it's correct, but to me, it's logical. The smaller the company the more they actually care about that prestige because they're trying to attract investors or whatever the case may be, as opposed to like AstraZeneca who doesn't need any more prestige. They are the prestige. Yes. I, I, th I think you're right, Dan. I think, I think smaller companies will care more about that particular thing. You know, they'll, they'll care more about that kind of 
marker of this is a good person in there because, you know, a small company exists in an attention economy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it, it relies on getting eyes on and sort of approval from the world for its very survival, whereas in a big company is going to more kind of think, well, does this person have what we need for our more strategic vision? You know, are we happy to hire this person? And as things change, they'll hang around and they'll be useful for us. And, you know, they can grow with us. And, you know, different people will will like different environments better. You know, I I wouldn't wouldn't fault that. But yeah, I I, I think you've you've got a good rule of thumb there. Back to your Twitter thread. This is a great thread. <laughs> I mean, it's like a book. It's how long did it take you to write this thing? Oh God. Well, I here I'm gonna confess I kind of had the idea sort of a long time before. And so I'd been jotting down ideas and like a one note off to the side, you know, about points that I would make. And then one day I you know what Twitter has become like. It's become a bit fractious and no, you know, yeah. a bit of a hostile place at times, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's it what that's what draws me in. People like looking at the accident on the side of the road you know this yeah, is, that's essentially what twitter is yeah but yeah i thought hey i'm gonna put some positive out there and so that's why i said you know i'm not trying to talk you to talk you into leaving the university or academia but if you were here are some things that might help you you know and so um in the end i think taking from my copied stuff it it wasn't that bad. It was over like um, postings over three hours on one day and then two hours the next day. Wow. Add in. Yeah. So this is what makes Twitter. This is why Twitter is still so great because of threads like this. One of the threads or one of the tweets, suspicion mm-hmm. of academics, industry <laughs> interviewers often grill candidates on the differences between academia and industry and if they'll be able to cope. It's a well-motivated fear with a history of ex-academics being disorganized, which you discussed, dismissive Mm -hmm. of business needs, which you've discussed, and difficult to work with, which you haven't (laughs) discussed. So I haven't. And what is with this? Because I'm trying to understand, like, why the hesitation. I've never been in that. Mm. AMC world. The closest I've got was monitoring a site. And I can tell you my experience monitoring that site was pretty bad. My biggest complaint was they had, when I monitor at a small private site, there's one person, there's the coordinator and there's the PI. And they're both responsible for the study. At AMC, you have like 15 people. And each time Mm. you need something, you go to one and that one says, no, that's not my responsibility. Go to this person. Then you go to that person. They say, no, no, go back to that person. So you're just trying to find out who's responsible at the end of the day. It seems like nobody is responsible. And when you approach the PI, the PI says, well, we do what we can. Sponsor still <laughs> loves us because we're prestigious and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so go figure it, it no. out. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, you know, I think there is that tendency there that, you know, you do find these kind of somewhat chaotic academic environments for, well, for a lot of reasons, you know, there's this this constant kind of precarity in there, kind of a red queen's race. We got to keep kind of climbing us up or else we'll be left behind. So, 
slight suspicion between people. Uh, you've got a constant flux of people kind of move, you know, students and, you know, postdoctoral fellows and so forth come in and go, all of whom kind of have their own objectives as well, right, uh, to move on. And I feel that, you know, when you move to some of these bigger companies or, the, you know, as I said, these other sites, that lack of precarity really shows, you know, people are there because, well, they just want to do their job. And at the end of the day, it hits five o'clock, they'll close the books and they'll go home. And um, they're a lot calmer to deal with, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I do feel there's something in those environments that does lead to chaos with dealing them and people's personalities, shall we say, kind of the bad aspects of their personalities are more likely to be lifted up and highlighted in there. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, and then we'll we'll switch to being a generalist versus a specialist, because you wrote about that as well. There's not, I, I don't think there's a aspect of this topic you haven't discussed in your Twitter thread, <laughs> but if we can go more in depth. I do want to get to sure. gener, uh, generalist versus specialist, because I always talk about that. But uh, when it comes to the AMCs, okay, uh, one of the things I've noticed at the private companies there's incentive mm -hmm. structures right you have incentive yeah. even at this like my own sites that i own we give our coordinators incentives hey if we if you can screen or randomize x number of patients you know you get a bonus at the end of the year in academic medical center that's frowned upon you can't do that but it's not yeah. like they don't have the money the money's just going somewhere else it's not going to the people doing the work so there's no incentives for them so what is the real incentive for the employee at an AMC, other than trying to attract the attention of their supervisors, who you say, you know, that's basically exercise in, in futility. They're never going to attract the attention, or at least th uh, they might attract the ch attention, but there's no outcomes. Uh, it's wishful thinking to have maybe some kind of positive outcome for their, for their career. So what, like, why do people stick around in these places? I well, I mean, let let me just dodge back to incentives for a moment. But I think mm. you've hit upon something quite interesting there. Um, in a different context, I talk about. Uh, I've given a couple of talks at conferences about AI and machine learning and biomedicine. And one of the problems there, I think, is that everyone has different incentives. You know, the doctor wants to use it to kind of to cure their patient. Uh, you know, the drug company kind of wants to wants to kind of pipeline something to sort of help them sell drugs. The, the university professor kind of wants to get a couple of papers and things like that out there. And, you know, all of these things do not quite overlap. And uh, I think what we have here is kind of the same thing. You know, some of your smaller centres, I think, you know, you might disagree, but I feel maybe you've connected into people who are just like, well, great, this is a trial. We can try something out for our our patients and we'll be doing good and our patients will benefit. And you're going into an AMC and you're getting into an environment where there are all these other incentives, kind of prestige and climbing the academic ladder and, oh, my God, just keeping my job here and so forth. And I think there can be a, a certain tunnel vision in these places uh, where People have a single idea of the career that they could have 
that they're headed towards. And so they very much kind of lock target on that and don't look outside at the possibilities for themselves. Uh, don't look at, you know, maybe the world has changed and there are other things out there for them. You know, uh, you, can, you can do very similar work uh, in other places. So, and I think actually, so the academic environment's very good at doing that, actually, at assuming implicitly uh, a type of career for their people that, you know, uh, you will stay here and you'll progress up the ladder or you'll go on to certain positions. Where, of course, in industry, you know, they almost, they're founded upon the idea that people are moving around. You know, mm -hmm. they bounce from company to company. They assume that you're going to uh, trade up and along. And, you know, they're fundamentally different ways of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. Um I think the AMCs recognize this at some level because there's been an increase in private public partnerships. Certainly before COVID, I was actually part of it. I got, I was asked to do an RFP for an AMC and I think they just stole the idea to do it themselves, but that's another topic, but they recognize, you know, the inefficiencies on some level. So they were able to utilize, or they were trying to utilize their, their, their prestige but mm. to attract leads, but then to be able to execute them, they would kind of partner with smaller clinics like mine. So I think uh -huh. it, I saw that trend before COVID. I don't know after COVID. I, I assume it's going to continue. Um, but mm. they, they recognize most of what you're saying as well. I'm just curious, did anyone reach out to you from AMCs? And what was their, what was their outlook on, on what you had to say? I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had quite a few sort of people contacting me in the background. And uh, yes, tragically, I think I'm now forming a second career as like, a, you know, a career agony aunt for ex-academics. You know, um, <laughs> there's a niche. You know, That's I, a niche. <laughs> there's a niche. There's a niche. Maybe this is my future. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting a lot of the similar things that people would, their thinking and their concerns, you know, and there's the, precarity in the environment and you know there's also their frustrations with organization as well too that they felt almost being an, an organized person who uh, had non-academic ambitions if you will was a disadvantage to have in those environments in a sense uh, that you know you would become the person who kind of who gets things done, but not the person who benefits mm. from things. So, you know, there's there's definitely there's a lot to think about there. But yes, there was a, there was an odd similarity with the stories that they've uh, been coming up with. Yeah, I think you should write a book on this topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it would do well. Last thing, uh, I have tell to do a tell-all tale. Yeah, I think that would do well because, I mean, we can go through this thread and maybe we'll do a part two based on, you know, some of the yeah. some of the tech that you're working on and, and maybe just touch on some of these other yeah. things. But generalist versus specialist. OK, yeah. One of the biggest <clears throat> reasons why I recommend people, if you're just starting out and you have an offer from an AMC and you have an offer from 
mom and pop research center in your community. Mm -hmm. I think you take the mom and pop because you go in there, they don't have prestige. They don't have anything. You're going to be doing all. You're going to be generalist. AMC, they're going to say, hey, enter data in the EDC. If you do good at that, maybe start doing like, you know, another level of entering data. Uh, so that there's this whole thing of how quickly you can build your career. Mm-hmm. I think you're mm-hmm. in a way, I don't know if it's a waste of time because that sounds kind of harsh, but you're leaving a lot on the table. Let's just put it that yeah, way. I, I think so. And, you know, the world changes and technology changes and you might find yourself cut off at that point. So, yeah, I, I think there is great value at the beginning of your career and having this kind of period in which you're doing everything or at least trying everything in there it makes you makes you much more flexible but yeah i would i would not not early on anyway i would not not overly constrain myself because you know you might stop enjoying that type of work uh you know there there might be a limited demand for that type of person uh, in the world you know, things could change you know and and although it can be frustrating early on to kind of think you've just got all the shallow knowledge of a lot of different things I think you know yeah you might disagree Dan but I think for junior people I think I'd be more interested in people who were had a bit more of a breadth of knowledge rather than they'd done one thing for two years Absolutely. That that's that's more of a marketable skill set to in my opinion. Uh last thing, I think it's yeah. obvious which one you prefer, but industry or academia, I mean which which one you prefer now that you've done both. No, I I would never say that my time in university was wasted or anything like that. But you know, in terms of my personal satisfaction and you know my work life balance and everything like that industry far and away you know i i feel as if i'm making a a real difference to people's lives you know that i'm contributing to the world i'm compensated well and i have a much more relaxed life and i do better work Mm. you know so there you go (laughs) the balance is way over on one side for me and both both organizations i mean let's face it they care about their own objectives first but is that my theory is that at the private industry, their objectives are more aligned with them needing you to stay there. And so yes. that can translate into them caring about you more. This is just theory, but you've lived it on both sides. Is this am I onto something? No, I, I, I think you may absolutely be onto something. And I've I've had friends and colleagues that we've discussed this with and it it's perplexing. You do not expect a large corporate entity to care about you, but it appears to. You know, it makes sure that your concerns are taken care of, make sure that you're compensated well, uh, and it appear, appears to deal with you in a, you know, largely straight way. You know, we're very, very direct, you know, making sure that you can do your job properly. And, yeah, I I think sometimes in those other environments that just gets lost. You know, there's there's no one really taking that 
top-down view of the employees and saying, how do we keep them happy? How do we keep them from moving on? How do we make their job simple? It's just absent. I'm sure even at the worst AMCs, there are certain departments that are run by rock stars that try their best in their own micro environment to nurture their mm. employees. But we're speaking in general terms. Yeah. This I'm just trying to deflect more hate, Paul. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I, 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 I agree. I think kind of individuals inside the system will take care of you, but the system as a whole does not. Mm. Wow. That's a tweet. Yeah. That's a retweetable tweet. <laughs> wow, Paul. Okay, I think we ended on that note. I mean, maybe we'll, I, not maybe, for sure. Let's do a part two more on the data science, the the future of research, the AI, and all the stuff that's coming next. Because if you want to talk about people and the importance of people, people watching, listening are very afraid of that. So, so maybe yeah. we do something on that because you're in that world as well. Um, and we'll save the rest, guys. Uh, Paul's LinkedIn is underneath the video and in the show notes. Go check him out on LinkedIn. If you go to his LinkedIn profile, you'll see his Twitter post on his activity. So just click on that and then you could read. It's like reading a book for free. I mean, basically. But I, we are now going to be hoping for a book, Paul. I think there's – I don't know if there has ever been a book written on this. I, I don't think there has been actually kind of like <laughs> the <Nice>. biotech hell all. <laughs> I think we found something for sure. There's definitely an audience for it. But thank you so much, Paul, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Everybody go connect with Paul and uh, can't wait to do the part two. Pleasure, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>